His words still stick in my memory. He didn't raise his voice, he didn't shout at me, he didn't intimidate me, but his words still stick. He said, I don't care if you're heading to church and you're in charge at church. You pull over and stop now. That was my dad talking to me about the family car. And he cautioned me about the dreaded oil light that would flash on the dashboard as a new driver. An oil light meant serious business. When I drove the family car, stop immediately. You'll see the family car. It's a 1973 Pontiac Catalina Safari green station wagon. You can see why it wasn't exactly a magnet to get dates when I was in an insecure sophomore in high school. Julie never ever saw me drive that car, I probably would never would have had a date with her. It, uh, it had vinyl seats, three seats, rear-facing seat with a disappearing glide-away tailgate. Wow. And my dad's words got seared in my memory. Those words were, stop your plans, pull over, don't ignore, it's serious, this needs to be checked out and listened to. Well, I got the message, it came through. In fact, so much so, I passed it on to my kids as they drove older cars and high-mileage cars growing up in our home for high school and college. We came up with our own words of caution, not quite like that. Well, here how, this is how it connects. Our passage from the Gospel of Isaiah isn't about cars, but it is about a warning, multiple warnings. It starts off with warnings that lead to cautions. And for the listeners back then, as well as for the reader and the listener like you to me, here is the warning. Our souls and our hearts are at stake. Trust is the core issue. We come to a section in the book, in the Gospel of Isaiah, that are all about warnings. This message is entitled, Warnings Caution You, Words comfort you, and it's from Isaiah 28. We'll be looking at Isaiah 28. We're going to read all of the scripture. I want to invite you to turn there on page 608, and we come to a section right now in the Gospel of Isaiah about a lot of warnings. Woes, they're called. 28, chapters 28 through 35 are all about warnings. As Pastor Brian shared with us last week, the grand narrative of the story of Isaiah is a reminder to the listener of his day and to the people of our day that those of us who follow Christ are chosen people to be a blessing. When we walk out of here, this is not to, we don't keep it to ourselves. We share this good news. The listeners of that day were reminded again and again that they were a chosen people, that God chose them through Abraham, that God rescued them through Moses, and that God proclaimed that there would always be a king through the line of David. And again and again and again, God covenanted or wedded himself to the people of Israel, to God's people. He asks that we trust him, that we obey him, that it reflects in our relationships and worship him and him alone. They were his people. They were his tribe to be a blessing to the nations, not to turn to foreign gods. So Isaiah the prophet warned and he cautions them and you and me to repent and believe. God will have his way amongst his people. And the word of caution first comes to the tribes in the north known as Israel or Ephraim as we'll see. And it will come to the south, the two tribes known as Judah. 
And to the listener today, under the covenant of the power of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, we are to listen to the warnings, to be gripped and shocked, to wake us up, to say, God, have mercy on me. That's the first half of the chapter. The second half of the chapter, we would call the gospel words. They're words of comfort, and they tell us about God's purpose and his plan, and we can rest and say, yes, 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 that's so true. So did you find a copy of the scriptures? There's 29 verses. We're going to read all of them. No shortcuts. I want to invite you to follow along with me, reading in Jesus' name. From Isaiah chapter 28. Woe to the leaders of Ephraim and Judah. Woe to that wreath, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards. Now Ephraim again is another word for the ten tribes. To the Ephraim drunkards, to the fading flower, his glorious beauty, set on the head of a fertile valley, to that city, the pride of those laid low by wine. See, the Lord is the one who is powerful and strong, like a hailstorm and destructive wind, like a driving rain and flooding downpour. He will throw it forcefully to the ground. That wreath, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards, will be trampled underfoot. That fading flower, his glorious beauty, set on the head of a fertile valley, will be like figs ripe before harvest. As soon as people see them and take them in hand, they swallow them. In that day, the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath from the remnant of his people. He will be a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment, a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. And these also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Priests and prophets stagger from beer and are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer. They stagger when seeing visions. They stumble when rendering decision. All the tables are covered with vomit. And there's not a spot without filth. Who's he trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? To children weaned from their milk? To those just taken from the breast? For it is this, do this, do that. A rule for this, a rule for that. A little here, a little there. Very well then. With foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the resting place, let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose, but they would not listen. So then the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that. A rule for this, a rule for that. A little here, a little there. So that as they go, they will fall backward. They will be injured and snared and captured. Therefore, 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 hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we've entered into a covenant with death. With the realm of the dead, we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. For we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line, righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten by it. 
As often as it comes, it will carry you away. Morning after morning, by day and by night, it will sweep through. The understanding of this message will bring sheer terror. The bed is too short to stretch out on, the blanket too narrow to wrap around you. The Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim. He will rouse himself as in the valley of Gibeon to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task, his alien task. Now stop your mocking or your chains will become heavier. The Lord, the Lord Almighty has told me of the destruction decreed against the whole land. Listen, hear my voice, pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for a planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? When he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in a plot, and spelt in a field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Caraway is not thrust with a sledge, nor is the wheel of a cart rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be ground to make bread, so one does not go on threshing it forever. The wheels of a threshing cart may be rolled over, but the one who does not use horse to grind grain. And this, all this, comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. Wow. This is God's word. It's true. It's true back then. It's true today. May God give us the ears to hear. Warnings caution you. I hope you heard the warnings that were very graphic. Graphic in terms of sheer force. Graphic in terms of debauched delights or desires. And graphic in terms of the results of folly. The first thing that we can pull from these words of caution are in verses 1 through 6. As I mentioned before, Samaria's capital of, is the is the, the capital of Israel, the ten northern tribes, was Ephraim's. And did you catch the graphic and strong pictures in those verses? Did you see them all? Words like the force of hailstorms and destructive winds. God will throw down and bring judgment, and judgment comes to the northern tribes. Write this down. Find a pen, write this down. I think this word will hold you. The Lord brings judgment, but never rewrites his promises. The Lord brings judgment, but never rewrites his promises. Where do you get that from? Well, you see the judgment in verse 2 and 3, and then there's this small word that's dropped in verse 5. And when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's right. The word is remnant, which means a small group of people who will not be extinct. They will follow Christ. It will be surprising to see who's in heaven. It will be surprising. The second warning that we can pick up comes from verses 7 and 8. Depraved delights, I called it, but you might want to use the word desires. These verses are aimed at priests and prophets of Jerusalem's capital of Judah, which are the two southern tribes. And as we saw the graphic nature and devastation of verses 1 through 6 with the powers of, and the forces of hailstorms and floods and those that, we see in these verses graphic nature of drunkenness and vomit and foolish talk. They scoff and they ridicule the words of Isaiah the prophet. Who speaks the word of God? And so either in a debauched state or a twisted mind or whatever the case may be, do they 
they, they speak with drunkenness, with babble in verse 10, or are they mimicking little ones in baby talk? They do not hear God's word. We have this. The first warning is what? Powerful parallels. Judgment will come. Judgment will come. But there will always be a remnant. We have these depraved delights or desires that are seen. But this is the third warning, and it's a powerful warning. We have this inescapable intensity of God's word. The inescapable intensity of God's word. Where do you see that? Look at verse 13. Look at verse 14. They have received the words that came through Isaiah, and they have rejected the word of God. God has various ways of working in someone's life. And once again, we see the graphic pictures of folly. Look at verse 13. They lose their balance. They fall backwards. They'll be injured. They will be snared. They will be captured. Inescapable intensity of the word of God, the living word and the written word. Mortality avoids no one. What was a strong word for foreign nations now returns to God's people and us. He will judge us according to his works and his words. Think about it. Think about this for just a minute. The word of God and the written word, the word of God, the written word, the Bible, the living word, Jesus, can be rejected and avoided. You have people in your life, I have people in my life that have rejected and avoided the living word, Jesus. But the word of God, the written word, and the living word of Jesus cannot be ignored. He will come to judge the living and the dead. You will confess that here soon when you take communion. He will come to judge the living and the dead. Hell was created for de devils and demons. It is also the place where thy will, my will, will be done and granted. C.S. Lewis said, hell is locked from the inside, not the outside. Here's the hope. Our Father is good to his word. He won't abandon them. The remnant is our reminder of that. And he won't abandon us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to seal us like a ring that we might be channels of his blessing. Another prophet who came after Isaiah made this point very clear. God has no pleasure in death to, any, to anyone. No pleasure in that at all. The Old Testament prophet I'm talking about is from Ezekiel who lived... A hundred years after Isaiah, he wrote these words in, Isaiah, in Ezekiel chapter 18, 30 through 32. He said, Ezekiel says, Therefore I will judge, judge you, each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the sovereign Lord. Repent and turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of of Israel. And then this, this, this verse 32 just, just kind of leapt off the page this week. And I thought, this is fantastic. Verse 32 of Ezekiel says, I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. Read that with me out loud. On your mark, get set, read. I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. If you miss the warning, let me say it another way. The political pack of those listeners back then, they were making a political pact with Egypt to protect themselves from Assyria. But breaking the pact of the covenant with their father. God is holy and he is jealous for our love alone to follow him. 
He will not share his glory or his holiness with any other. And if you're cozying up to, cozying up to another, it won't give you the protection you seek. Whether that's sin, whether that's a relationship, whether that's a pursuit, it will not give you the protection. How can you say that? Look at verse 20. The illustration is one of a bed is too short. Your trust in adequate preparations against Assyria invasion is inadequate. Your covers of protection will not cover you. First comes the bad news. First comes the caution, the warnings, the cautions to you and to me. And the bad news comes. And in verse 15 and verse 17, powerful words that we see used in Psalm are turned against as a mirror saying, oh my word, and the powerful word is refuge. That beautiful, strong, fortress, shelter word that's used throughout Psalms, and especially Psalm 91, is now used against. It's a lie. Any other refuge other than Christ in Christ alone and his blood is a lie. No one escapes mortality. So you and I need comfort and hope. And that's the second part of this chapter. Words comfort you. All, all get the word and the ways of God in verses 14 through 20. Remember, these words of comfort are framed by cynicism and scoffers. They're, cyni- cyni- they're, they're ultimately rejecting God and his call. You might want to call it practical atheism in account to who they trust. But here's the word of comfort. It's a real security. It's located in verse 16, the cornerstone. The cornerstone. A tested cornerstone. H.C. Leupold is a wonderful Lutheran Old Testament scholar, and he says about verse 16, he said, this is one of the grandest of all Isaiah's prophecies, and Isaiah at his ultimate finest. One word, cornerstone. Cornerstone cornerstone you ask someone hey what's your church going through if you just remember cornerstone it's good that'd be a win no less than four new testament authors quote this verse of jesus being the cornerstone that's significant four authors in all kinds of different fields one was a reformed tax guy matthew one was an insightful detailed doctor luke one was a redeemed scholar paul And one was a changed small business owner, Peter. Matthew 21 and Luke 20, those verses are listed there for you. You can look them up on your own. Talk about Jesus. And if you want to include Jesus, I guess that's five authors. We probably should include Jesus. I mean, he is the cornerstone. That'd be good. And in this parable, this is Jesus talking. Matthew and Luke record them. That Jesus said that even though Jerusalem would be reject Jesus, the nations of the world are welcomed into his kingdom, the cornerstone. In Acts chapter 4, we read about the cornerstone being the central piece as Peter and John, after a long night in prison, talk about their faith in Jesus. Paul two times talks about the cornerstone, one in the book of Romans. He is concerned, God's concern is for Jewish people, but God chose people who aren't Jewish. Aren't you and I glad? Amen? Yeah. In Ephesians chapter 2, 20, Paul, in this wonderful work, talks about the cornerstone. The church is based on Christ. I'm not the church. I'm part of it. 
But my prayer is when you come on Sunday, you walk out these doors and you go, wow, what a savior. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6 says this, the cornerstone, people will trip over him. What's the point of the cornerstone? What's the point of the comfort? This, his foundation is sure and solid and it will not change. Jesus will never lie, desert you, abandon you, forsake you, ignore you, cancel you, abuse you, or deny you. His cross invites sinners like you and me to confess and repent and be forgiven and set free. These are words from the tested cornerstone of Jesus, and this room is filled with forgiven people. Amen? You bet. You bet. These words of comfort, a cornerstone. The second word of comfort is historically tied. Uh, Isaiah kind of drops a pin. In other words, for you to go, oh, yeah, now I remember. Let me give you an example. Our 32nd president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a New Yorker known as FDR, on December 1941, after respectful introduction to the House and Senate, we will listen only for 36 seconds. That's it. After, a, after coming into the to the Senate and the House, he makes seven words that we still have seared in our conscience. 71 and a half years later, here's President Roosevelt. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Those seven words. Mr. Vice President. Those seven words, a day that will last in infamy, are in these verses here. Not a day, but cities that will last for infamy. In 1 Chronicles chapter 14, 8 through 17, there are cities that are identified that we are never to forget, Perizim and Gibeon, where David was overwhelmed by Philistines. No way should he have won. No way should he have won. But God showed up. It's really cool. The author says about Perizim, the valley of Perizim, which means the Lord overwhelmed. Don't forget. The difference in these words, the difference in these words, the words of comfort and the warnings that come, the difference is that God will strike his own people. And that will be strange and alien to his listeners. But his purposes, his trials, his testings, the temptations of our faith are in the hands of a good, good father. That leads us to a final word of comfort. The word of comfort is this. He is the perfect, perfect farmer. He is the perfect farmer. It's set up with a series of four questions. I tried to read that in a sense for you to have those jump out. Look at all the four questions that are in verse 24, 25. I told someone when they came to church, get your pen out and start circling these. Do you see all the question marks there? Right there in your English Bible. It's a question it's a harvesting illustration. And what is the name of the farmer? 
That'd be a fair question. What's the name of the farmer? Is it John Deere? Is it KSIH? No. The hint is verse 5. The hint is verse 20, 22 and 29. The farmer is the Lord Almighty, the God of the angel armies. Or as Chris Tomlin wrote a, a, a song a number of years ago, maybe you've heard it before. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever. He is a personal friend of mine. The God of angels' armies is always by my side. My strength is in your name. It's done by the faithful Lord of the armies. Doesn't that sound like our Lord Jesus? As he speaks parables about harvesting and farming and sowing seeds, the process may be painful, but the fruit is for his glory, and the farming is perfect. Even as he cuts, he will not crush the grain. He is sovereign and gracious. He is holy and merciful. And his divine discrimination in sowing and reaping is done with wisdom. His plan is wonderful. His wisdom is magnificent. He works wonders in counseling. He is the God of the angel armies. Listen to verse 29 again. All this comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful and whose wisdom is magnificent. We may not see it. Elizabeth Elliot was a famous missionary. She lost her husband in 1956, one of the five missionaries, very famous missionary story in the Ecuadorian jungle. She has a brand new biography that came out, and I read a, I read a summary of it in Christianity Today. It said this, Elizabeth Elliot, one who understands suffering. Listen to what she said. God uses flawed people. He has never promised to solve our problems. He has not promised to answer our questions, but he has the words of eternal life. Who else would we cling to? Hear these words. Hear these words, these warnings of caution. Hear these words of comfort. Don't miss the warning. Before we take communion, I want to give you a, this closing illustration. A friend from church um, knew that I liked history, and so she gave me a book of the year, the Britannica, 1947. If you're too young to uh, remember what these words, Google it. They really did exist. And so she gave me this 1947, and I had so much fun reading. I read about states. I read about Major League Baseball. Even back then, the hated Yankees kept beating everybody. It's terrible. And I went all the way back to the end of World War II, the war had just ended, World War II. And when I read this, I was reading downstairs in our basement, and I remember going, oh, no, why? They didn't listen. What are you talking about? There were two off army officers, Major General Frederick Martin, Army Commander in Hawaii, and Vice President Admiral Patrick N. Bellinger, a air defense officer of Pearl Harbor neighbor, Naval Base of Pearl Harbor. These two prepared a historic document which reached Washington in August of 1941. The bombing happened in December of 1941. In the document, they stated that the enemy would attack with six aircraft carriers. 
would contain six aircraft carriers. It did. To avoid it, they would travel the Great Circle Route and approach Hawaii from the north. It did. The attack was, must be launched at dawn. It did. And early in the morning, they would be within 884 miles of Hawaii. They were actually 800 miles due north of Hawaii. The report was sent to Washington four months earlier, and it was ignored. The part that shocked me is after the bombing happened, they wanted to point fingers, and they wanted to court-martial both of these men. And I went, ah, oh, they didn't listen to the warning. They didn't listen to the warning. And if you go to Hawaii today, you can go, what's that called? USS Arizona, that's it, yeah. And you can still see the oil. And when I was there for our 10th anniversary, I, I started crying. I thought, oh, my word. Oh, my word. Listen to the warning. We are sinners. And God in his mercy had provided the body and blood of Christ. No one deserves this meal. No one earns this meal. You cannot be good enough to earn this meal. You'd have to be perfect. Who can do that? One person did. The God of the angel armies. And he lived on our behalf. And he died on our behalf. And he gave his life on our behalf. What can I do? Confess. Repent. Turn to him. So I invite you to do that. Close your eyes. Bow your head. Tell him what he knows already. Bible says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And then the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There on the cross of Christ, there was this interchange, this exchange that happened between the criminals, one on his left and one on his right. Remember, they both hurled insults at him. But one of the criminals said, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. Talk about good news. Talk about grace. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and they lifted it to the lips of Jesus. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amazing. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So we ask these four questions as we come to the communion table. Number one, do you believe in the promises found in Scripture? Number two, do you recognize Jesus' real presence? Number three, do you repent? Do you turn from your sins? And number four, have you done the hard work? And as far as it is unto you, have you reconciled, made peace, with believers in our church family? Powerful questions.
for 2,000 years, the Christian church has around the world confessed their faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I invite you to stand. When people ask you, what do Christians believe? This is what they believe. This is the spine of Christianity. And it has been and will be for another 2,000 years and into eternity. Let's confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. Yeah. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Well, yes, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, but we all share in that one loaf. Please have a seat. Once again, we want to just give some instruction on how we do communion here. You'll notice there are four stations. There's two in the back and two up front here as well. There's gluten-free wafers. If, that's, if you need that, please take advantage of that. We'll come up one at a time. We'll sing. My friend Tim and Karen will lead us in a song. If you want to sing, great. If you just want to listen to the song, that's fine as well, too. We practice what's called an open communion. What does that mean? It means that you're a follower of Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, you may not be an official member here, or you might be a guest, but you love Jesus and know he's forgiven your sins. The table is open for you. There are small verses there, too. If you have a little one or someone's not been confirmed, grab one of those. Even if you have a grandchild who's not here, you might want to grab one as a verse for them. Okay? Welcome to our Father's table. This is for broken people, for sinners. I qualify. Welcome.